number one nationally in your field. It's an attribute to what you've done to clientele and how you go about doing your job, which has created God willing more business for, for me and my team, and it's opened a lot of doors. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Assyrian Podcast. It's Cynthia here, your Australian co-host. I'm excited to bring you back to Australia for another episode. Regardless of where you are in the world, I have no doubt that your Assyrian community, no matter how big or small, possesses individuals who have not only achieved a lot personally, but have taken the next step to carry their community along with them through these waves of achievement. This week's guest, Malik Yunan, is one of those people. At just 20 years old, Malik discovered his passion for real estate when he became a property manager. Malik very quickly climbed the real estate ladder when he commenced working in sales. Most recently, Malik's accomplishments saw him become director of his own agency. Late last year, Malik reached the pinnacle of recognition in the industry when he was recognized as 2018's number one residential real estate agent in Australia. Now this is a massive feat, considering he was up against more than 53,000 other real estate agents across Australia. Across the real estate industry and within the Assyrian community here in Melbourne, Australia, Malik is very well known for his supportiveness, enthusiasm and leadership. In this interview, we'll find out more about what drives Malik, the influence his Assyrian upbringing had and what could possibly be next for him. Before we get right into it, we would really love it if you could please help us grow the Assyrian podcast by spreading the word. You can do this by subscribing and reviewing the Assyrian podcast wherever you listen to it and sharing these episodes through social media and through word of mouth, perhaps the next time you're sitting around having a gava and chai with your family. Big shout out to Tony Caligarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois, New York for sponsoring this episode. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, here's this week's episode with Malik Yunan. Malik, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thanks for coming along. Thank you, my pleasure. Thank you. Malik, I want to start right from the top. I want to know about your name and how or why your parents chose it. Wow, Malik. So Malik is short. The full name is Malikiznik. It's from the from the Bible. But in saying that, my uncle, his name is Malikiznik. And obviously I call myself Malik. But yeah, when my dad's brother, he passed away early, car accident. So what happened is they actually named me uh, Malik after him. And then when when he passed away, you may have heard they call me Simon. Under my dad's name, yeah. Simon, Simon, just because... In front of my grandmother, didn't want to mention Malik too many times, but that's how it all came along. But from the Bible, I think it's Malikizik, which was uh, an ancient king there, a Christian back then. So it's a yeah biblical name, but it was after my uncle's name. And do you get the question about your name a lot? Oh, absolutely. From from a lot of Middle Easterns and Turkish, because Malik means angel, and then the Arabs and Malik Malika means you know king, and yeah, it's a, it's a good good compliment I get from it. So I want to know a bit more about your upbringing. How did you end up in Melbourne, and what was it like growing up Assyrian here? Beautiful. I I loved it. So we came down. My parents left Iran when I was like four years old. Went to Germany, and then after Germany, we had the choice of going either to America. 
or Australia. And my parents chose Australia because they had family in Sydney. So I think in 89 or so, we came down to Sydney. But then my dad's auntie lived in Melbourne. They said, oh, we'll go and go to Melbourne. We'll try it out. And then they found a job at a local factory here, 89, uh, 90 around there. So and then we sort of moved to Melbourne and, and never moved back to Sydney. And that's how that came about. Yeah, so in 89. From then on, growing uh, Assyrian, I think a lot of community that was in Melbourne, I think they all got together. I think lived all in the local community. And it was good. So I think my parents and other parents which migrated from Iran to Melbourne, which all lived in similar villages and, and, and you know, and all, me, all, all these different places came here. And then I think us and their children grew up together. So it was awesome. Yeah, I loved the childhood and I loved all the events that we went to and all that. And I loved it. Any that stand out in your mind? Yeah, um, Torquay Beach stands out a lot. Uh, went to Torquay once. Uh, we nearly drowned. A few of the guys, Alan and I, we nearly, we nearly sort of drowned ourselves there. Yeah, Torquay. Things like uh, we had good New Year's and Christmas parties. I think they were always awesome. You know, now it's obviously less and less numbers, but back then I think it was like always 250, 300 people, which I loved it. Loved it, get together with all the friends, and it was a tight-knit community, which I loved it. And why do you think it is that there are less and less people getting involved? I think it's a multiple factors. I think it's one that... I think life has become more busier in terms of getting married and, uh, and a lot of us, including myself, getting married maybe to potentially non-Assyrians that can sort of break small links, not all of them, because I still, I still mingle with it a lot. But that aside, then you've got people get married, they get children, so that sort of gets involved and, and everyone sort of these days are doing something different. They're either potentially going interstate for New Year's Eve or Christmas functions or Everyone's probably getting a bit too busy. Everyone's giving their similar own, you know, similar beginning their own business, uh, and, and they're working longer hours, so they're making probably less time for that, which is a little bit unfortunate. But in saying that, I think everyone's doing their own thing. Whereas before, everyone probably used to do more nine to five jobs, and after they finished, they would always get together at six o'clock or on the weekends, even with the family. I think back then we used to, you know, have dinners every Sunday night. I remember each, each different cousins or aunties' house and uncles and now it's once every two months and it's getting less and less which is a bit of a pity me and my family try to sort of once a week always stay tight-knit yeah i think it's what you put into it i think the next question i've got is about you getting into real estate can you tell us a bit about that how you started off yes. and where you've gone from the beginning wow okay so i started in real estate back in 2001 roughly 2001 2002 actually after high school got into electrical engineering but never wanted to do i guess maths or physics or anything like that so i was that that wasn't my passion how did you end up in it was it like through family that were encouraging you to go study or no i used to walk back from engineering oh no electrical engineering i just got into that course because obviously i got the points for it and i I always liked to i like the electrical side of things and and i said all right well this will be a good career but then I used to walk back from school, I used to see a lot of agents and suits and nice cars and, and and then I actually went and talked to a couple of local real estate agents when I was in year 12 and I think this was what I was. I either had their office, I had their ties on, suits and, and a good office job and, and you have the potential income of doing whatever. You have no capped income and that's what I sort of found out and I thought to myself, well, if I put all my effort into it, I'll be rewarded. Whereas sometimes jobs nine to five, you'll only have a cap and you cannot produce more 
than what you put in. And anyway, and then I went into, um, did the course for real estate and I put my electrical engineering course on hold and I said, no, nah, I won't even start it yet. But then I got a local job in Tullamarine and 16, 17 years ago, I never turned back. So that's how it sort of fell into it. But uh, I was always supposed to go back and finish my degree. Well, yeah, what was the response from perhaps your parents about uh, not going back to finish your degree? Uh, look, I, I didn't even start, I just deferred it from, from day one. And they're like, are you crazy? Obviously coming from the country where they came from, obviously sort of more oh, war stricken. It was to a certain point, that's why we left. But doctors, engineers. Perhaps it wasn't an industry they'd really heard of. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I said, they, they didn't know. And they said, well, there's no wage in it. You got it. It's whatever you sell. It's commission. And, and, and it's something that they thought, okay, if you have a regular income that can come in in your engineering, which is a good, stable job, I think they're just people that probably didn't take as much risks as to what the young generation does now. And they probably didn't understand that. But now, yeah, they're still um, yeah, very supportive. So it's good. But yeah, we, I had my speed humps with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. And you started off as a, say, a property, property manager? Property manager. Yeah, well, I, when I had my first interview, they, they, they knocked me back. And I went back to the same company saying, just give me a, a, a trial. And they put me two years probation. And I, I remember after six months, they said, you're ready to go in sales. Two years probation. That's, two years yeah. back then. Yeah. Uh, wow. I was 21. Yeah. And they actually knocked me back. They said, no, you're too young. And they said, we'll give you two years probation. If you can do it well, we'll keep you on. If not, we can let you go at any time. But it's six months into it. They said, not only are you doing property management, let's go into sales. So 21, 22 onwards, I was in sales till now. And at that age, was that like a, a usual thing where there were 21, 22 year olds selling houses? Or um, was it less heard of? There was, there was probably, I'll tell you right now, there was probably two more. There was two more at that time. There was uh, at that age. One of them now is my business partner. Another one person has, um, yeah, they've, they've, they've left from real estate. And are we talking like at that age, like locally, or we're talking... In my core city? area. Yeah. So as far as I know, in my core area where we do, in these suburbs, these five, six suburbs that we sell in, it's only myself and him that are in that sort of um, age bracket that have been in it since 16 odd years ago. There's 21-year-olds yeah. now in the industry, but um, but back then it was only myself and two others. Yeah, it's a very strong indication of where you are today, which we'll get to. Yeah. So what I want to throw at you is a bit of a hypothetical. So we know that the markets in Melbourne and Sydney, they've been quite tough in terms of affordability, particularly for first-time buyers. Yeah. I understand speaking to some of my other co-hosts, the same situation has been happening in America. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we've got a bit of a hypothetical for you. And I want to see how you might answer this, what advice you might have. Yep. So there's a client who has been living and working in Sydney. They're getting married and want kids, but the cost of living has skyrocketed. Realistically, their options are to move to the outskirts of the city or into the suburbs. What do you do with that situation? What's your advice? I always believe in this and, and I sell this every day, but I believe to secure real estate is probably the best investment you can make. As I did when I was young, I started with a small eight square unit in a block of 15 and you just, you can always rely on an asset that appreciates. So no matter how far you go out, you always have the opportunity to go closer in, closer in, but you need to start somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, definitely. So that's my advice. Any other advice for first time buyers? First time buyers, try to stay home as much as you can, save up and just probably work out priorities on spending. I think when I was growing up, holidays, nice flashy cars uh, was probably rare 
Whereas now I'm seeing mid-20s and they're driving $50,000 cars and they're going to Europe and they're splurging 30, 40 grand holidays where back then I may have done a $5,000 holiday and uh, not spent so lavishly. So maybe minimize that kind of So you stuff. can still Second enjoy place. yourself, but ensure you're also thinking about future investment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And invest in appreciative assets, I believe. Yeah, that's great advice. You know? Either in the real estate agency industry mm-hmm. or outside, can you tell us a bit about who your biggest influences are? I've got obviously my parents, big influence by work ethic and, and doing the right things by people. I think that they're my massive, they're probably my biggest motivators. Obviously in industry, I've got a few people in the industry obviously that strive to make me a, a better leader, I guess now, leader to what I'm doing and to always educate myself. So just I've got mentors and I've got you know, different entrepreneurs that I work with in order to always advance not only my sales skills, but my leadership skills now that I need to, to run a team. And in terms of the biggest and best piece of advice you've received, anything that comes to the top of mind? Do to others what you probably want to be done to you. Just be human, be real, don't be fake. I believe success breeds a magnet around you, I guess, and, and hard work breeds success and then success can open up a lot of doors and, and sometimes it might be hitting a, a target, it might be financially, by working hard to achieve what you want to do, holidays, splurge yourself on toys, splurge on family and friends. But yeah, just be real, that's what I believe. Going into be real, you mentioned don't be fake. Absolutely. As a part of that advice, how do you go over that obstacle in the industry that you're in? People are dumb, but when you're, when you're trying to secure someone's business and you're selling homes, their biggest assets they've worked hard for, and in our area, they're like anywhere between, say, $600,000 to $2 million. And when you're going in there, don't be in it for yourself in terms of trying to, to secure business. If we're talking business terms, look out for their best interest. And I guess if you can do that and not fake it that you're doing it for them but really want it all for yourself, I think things will fall into place and people will pick. They can actually buy your body language and they can actually smell how genuine you are. And if you are genuine, then I think you'll, you'll succeed. If not, if you're just doing it for to get some status or to get a listing to get your name on or just to make more money and commission from someone, I think it will be a short-term career for them. Just, yeah, just help people just be real with them. Now, can you tell us a bit about how you ended up making the decision to set up your own agency, which is very exciting? Yeah, I just, myself and my business partner, Phil, I think we just got to a point where we believed in ourselves a lot and backed ourselves a lot where we thought, okay, we wanted to become uncomfortable, break out of our fee zone and actually do something that will take a backward step financially in terms of what we're doing, we're doing very well. But in order to grow and we wanted to become leaders, we wanted to become mentors, we wanted to spread what our knowledge into a team rather than being a one person show. And we believe do it for yourself and if I'm gonna be running around and stressing for my you know for someone else, I might as well do it for myself and I could back it up. So we, uh, we partnered up and, and um, yeah, less than yeah, approximately 10 months ago, we've opened up our own company. And yeah. how's that coming along? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks to God, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been doing well, as we mentioned before. I think we're, we're, we're hitting good benchmarks and, and we've got huge, huge growth to grow yet. You know, we need to climb a big ladder. 
But in doing that, I think we're not content at all, but we're, we're getting 1% better, I think, every day. We've recently hit sort of uh, the top 20 offers, over 105 offers in Victoria. We've sort of been hit in the top 20 mark, which is um, in 10 months trading for an office. It's massive considering there's some offices that have been open between five to 20 years they've been running. And what's next for your agency? To grow the team, to hopefully outgrow where we are and then have a dynamic super office where we can have the majority market share in our core area. That's our main aim and uh, yeah, and just be an elite team. And what's next for you personally? I think improving as a leader and to be a better leader in terms of work-wise and yeah, just self-improvement. That's all I, uh, yeah, every day I try to self-improve and, and any weakness, any place I need to improve on, that's what I try to concentrate on. It's a bit yes. about your family life now. You've got mm-hmm. three children under yeah, six. Yeah, under six now, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about life at home and also finding balance with what you do? It's awesome. I think they're the ones that uh, make me, you know, the why, the why, you know, I've got a supportive wife, thank God. Uh, without my wife to run a household like that, it will not happen. I cannot do what I do without her. Big thanks out to Tanya. Yeah, three beautiful kids. They keep me nice and busy. I try to sort of allocate my mornings with them so I don't sort of tend to get to work too early. I sort of spend time with them, especially at this young age, do the school drop-off, the kindergarten drop-off, spend time with my little son. So I try to sort of, uh, because night times for me, they probably, by the time I get home, they'll probably be sleeping. So I try to allocate that time, try to leave work Friday early to spend time with them because our Saturdays are write-offs. They're, they're all about auctions and opens. And uh, spend Sunday with family, family, full stop. But yeah, no, they're definitely a big support group and I love them. What do you hope your children can take from your achievements? I guess never be content, always strive to be better, better than their own goals, better than me, just to never settle on a certain standard. Because the moment you do that, then the passion will, will fall away. Always set another goal. Once you accomplish one, be realistic, set another goal. And that can be from a miniature goal until a really big goal as they grow up. But as long as they put goals in place, no matter how serious it is or not, just to self-improve every day and and do the right thing by people. I think that's what I want to instill in them, hopefully. Speaking of your family, you mentioned your wife, Tanya, comes from a non-Assyrian background. I've heard her speak Assyrian. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about the process of her learning to speak Assyrian? What were some of the challenges she found? Yeah. How did she go about it? Yeah, with Tanya, I guess when she met my parents, my parents sort of pretty much talked to her in English and then it got to a point where Tanya sort of didn't want to go to functions unless she could actually communicate, which is great. It wasn't something that I said, you need to learn Assyrian. My children always, I want them to learn Assyrian, obviously. But with her, obviously I chose her for her, but she said that obviously for me to communicate, I want to know what your parents are saying. I want to talk to them back in their language that they're comfortable with. So she can have an awesome relationship with him, which I was blessed to have found a girl like that. So she went uh, one hour a week for five, six months to a Syrian teacher, Rabbi Andrius, which was, uh, he's a legend who took her on. She, she knows the alphabet, she knows how to write, obviously not fluent, but she knows how to write, which is great. And she speaks, yeah, she understands pretty much 90% of what my parents say, and she might speak back 60-70% jump wrapped. In terms of um, some of the challenges she found in the, in the language, do you remember that through the learning process? I suppose certain objects are feminine, certain objects are masculine. Yes. You know, those sorts of things which you don't realise. You speak it every day, but you don't realise until you're trying to teach someone else. Absolutely, because it's, so, it's probably so natural for us. 
uh, we just think it's all it's simple uh, my wife obviously for like a European Italian background so for her in Italian I think the way you read the word because it's English alphabet so the way you read it you pronounce it and I think Italian is a very easy language to sort of pick up on and learn very quickly but in terms of uh, Assyrian it was hard because she had to know masculine feminine like you mentioned but then to learn the actual alphabet and then to write it yeah she must have had something you know that she wanted to learn because she got she did it and like I said it was a narrow week for like four or five months so it definitely was challenging but I think her wanting to know it as much as she could overweighed the obviously obstacles but yeah and obviously speaking it at home has helped Absolutely. 100%. Like my parents speak to her in, in, in Assyrian. I'll speak to, start to speak to her in Assyrian as much as I can. Even with my little ones, she speaks to them in Assyrian as much as she can to communicate with them. Um, obviously, they go to school and the majority is all English, obviously. But then she starts, uh, between me and her, we try to sort of instill that Assyrian language. And I'd love them to know Assyrian, English, Italian, Chinese, as much as I can know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But definitely don't want to lose our Assyrian tradition. Your bio mentions that you support and are a part of the Assyrian, Victorian Assyrian community. You volunteer for charity groups and other community assistance. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So obviously everyone's been touched by, by cancer and family and friends and um, children. I do a bit of charity work, I guess, with children and in terms of cancer foundations. Um, and also the VAC, like I've, even my company's more than happy to help. They need assistance about refugees and, you know, in terms of getting clothes and stuff like that. And I said, when it comes to a point where we need assistance in terms of that, my company would love to donate a certain amount and contribute towards helping Assyrian, you know, whether it be more stricken countries or they're coming from somewhere else and they need assistance, we'd love to donate towards that just to help them because obviously our, our family was in a similar position and obviously we've been blessed with blessings and we'd love to pass that on to other people. Anything helps. On to another topic. I want to know your thoughts on being named Australia's top real estate agent for 2018. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah the fact that massive. out of 53, more than 53,000 real estate agents, you um, receive this award is amazing. So congratulations on behalf of the Assyrian podcast team. Tell Thank us a you. bit about how it came about and um, your reaction. Yeah, it's it's massive. I actually, um, so SQM Research, AFR asked SQM Research to do, um, it's, it's like so a- Australian Financial Review. Australian Financial Review, yeah. yeah which so, is a big media outlet here in Australia. Oh, massive. I think a financial magazine and it's got business and, and, and topics and stuff like that. But SQM, uh, they've hired SQM to do a big research, but without agents knowing. So they went around and got all data. So they based it on, on five core points. So I think I believe it was market share in your core area, the amount of sales that you've done, the monetary figure of what like I think I think I sold close to I think sixty million worth of real estate in twelve months. And in terms of average days on market and how close we reached the owner's price and over. So you need to be ranked high in all those five categories um, and out of 53 and a half thousand, I think, agents to be ranked one, you had to be on the top end of all those, which is massive, and you cannot be nominated for this award. So it was done discreetly, but they announced it was a bit of a surprise and I was uh, a journalist from AFR, um, Australian Financial Review, obviously rang me and said, you know, congratulations. You've got Did the you honor. know about it no. until then? Oh, so they've just called you and said, this is what we've done in the background. 
your award will be released and we just want to give you a heads up and there's a, do you have permission to push in the article? And I said, yeah, go for it, no problem, you know? What yeah. was your, how did you feel? Oh, I felt, I felt, I felt good. You know, obviously everyone Maybe a loves, bit of shock. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking obviously this is, this is, this is how I am. I said, this is not, uh, this is not my doing. Obviously it's God's blessings because think about it, 53 and a half thousand agents. You always think to yourself, you know, to be number one, you know, to be the top 200 or 100 or top 10 is hard enough to be number one. Obviously God's hands in there, but a lot of hard work, 16 years of hard work. And no, I believe that's contributed to it, obviously, you know, as a fact. And to, um, and I always believe figures and stats don't lie. And to be ranked one, it's an honor, which has been great. To be number one nationally in your field, I think it's, it's an attribute to what you've done to clientele and how you go about doing your job, which has created, you know, God willing, more business for, for me and my team. And it's opened a lot of doors. That's what I was going to ask. Tell me a bit about the, the doors this opportunity has opened, this award. Yeah, well, it's got me into more... I've been approached by a couple of people to do mentoring with them. I've been asked to do with entrepreneurs. Like I did one recently with entrepreneurs. and speaking on stage on how, I think, attitude and, and mind frame you have to be in to, to become onto that level. And also I'll be doing another talk in... Um, Can you sum that up in like maybe like two or three sentences, what that means to have the right mind frame? For, for me, I think that's, that's my, my attitude is again, to there's no shortcuts. There is no shortcut to be on top. Hard work, you need to be persistent and consistent. Um, if, if you're not doing that, if you're doing a great month and the next two months you're going down and you're not consistently following up with the right attitude, getting up in the morning with the right attitude and the right mind frame, I believe it's not for you, especially my game. So it's all about mind frame in terms of having a fresh mind, having a good outlook in terms of goals, make them very clear, don't make them too high where you won't achieve them. Simple goals and then increase them, it might be quarterly or every six monthly, do that and achieve them and always keep learning, educate yourself. If you don't grow, Spiritually, if you don't go, whatever career you do, if you don't go and learn, how can you pass on the best advice to, to a client that will appreciate it? You need to give value back. You mentioned mentorships as well. So what kind of people will you be mentoring? Well, and I've is got, this the first time you'll be doing something like that? Yeah, I have. I think I've been indirectly doing it at different, um, obviously my previous jobs and stuff, obviously young people at start, I guess used to come up to me and ask me for a lot. I was just happy to sit aside for them, tell them what I used to do. But now I've got different offices. I've got someone that I'm talking to now from Canada, a real estate agent. I've got one from New Zealand. And I've also got another guy in Melbourne that has come in actually to see me and pick my brain on what I do differently. That's the kind of people that are connecting with me, not just you know in, in Australia now, where they're picking my brain in terms of what, can, what, have, they, what have I done to reach where I am, where they can put that into practice and where they are. It might be a different state, different country. When someone's in a different country, what advice do you give them? Again, very similar. If you want to get business and leads, you need to go out there, door knock. Really, you need to know the why. If it's just money making, you'll burn out after a while. I guess for me, it wasn't all about the money. It was all about success, reaching goals. For example, I want to... If I can sell two clients' homes a month, I'll be great. Then in six months, I'll love to do five you know, homes a month and get a client from A to B. Then it might be eight, 
then 10, then 12, and 15 a month. So you need to work backwards, I tell them. Okay, if you want to reach this goal, how many valuations do you need to do? In order to do this many valuations, how many homes do you need to door knock? How many people do you have to visit? How many communities do you have to go out there and put your time? So it's having those targets in concrete, having them there. Oh, 100%. Targets and consistency and persistence and to do it continuously. What do you think about it? your personality has made you? I think um, just being humble, you know, don't think you're better than anyone else. Genuinely wanting to help people, I do. I, I try to help our elderly. I sort of charge them differently in terms of our fees. A lot of people don't. They'll just charge them whatever they need to charge them. I sort of try to help that because they've obviously done a lot of hard work, contributed, and at that age you want to help them a bit more. Every cent helps. Just, yeah, just be what genuine. What about people within the Assyrian community who might find English a bit of a, a boundary for them? Have you had a lot to do with... Yes. People who don't speak English as a first language and you've been able to help them because you've been able to speak Assyrian. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's helped me a lot. I've, I've had clients come in here and ask me to become reference for them, for other agents, which I have. And not only that, people have come here with, as you mentioned, reading or writing difficulties. And I've actually filled out applica- application forms for rental potentially, um, giving them the advice on what to look out for with different agents. So not to benefit myself, but to benefit them. And just just help them to make sure they get treated right and done the right thing by. Because again, I remember my parents were in a very similar situation when they came to this country too. So it I think can be a bit of a hard system to navigate if you don't know. One hundred percent happening. One hundred percent, it's daunting, and and it's good that I can be something, a bit of light, where a lot of people maybe it's dark for them. They don't know which angle, and I can shed some light for them and help them. And you mentioned new doors opening. You're speaking at one of Australia's biggest real estate conferences. Yes. Soon. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm actually going to do a quick post on that, hopefully today or tomorrow. It's called... For uh, anyone on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Well, yeah. Everyone's on Instagram and Facebook, but uh, make sure you check out Malik's um, yeah. Instagram and Facebook handles. It's just Malik Yunan. Yeah, so it's uh, Malik Yunan 01 for Instagram, and I think it's Malik... Uh, you can search for Malik Yunan Ray White on my Facebook page. So yeah, it's the Australian Real Estate Conference, ARAC, for 2019. I've been asked to do a talk in front of roughly 5,000 real estate agents, um, Australia-wide, in regards to where I've got to now and how I've done it. So it's a massive, massive privilege, and I'm humbled to, uh, out of, again, 53,500 agents, will be 10 speakers, I think it's 10 or 11, uh, to be chosen one of them, um, and it happens only once a year. And to be part of that and to share my knowledge, I'm humbled to, to think that some of these A-class organizers believe that half of my time is valued, which is all sponsored for me, which is brilliant, in order to do that. So I'm just, this is one of the dreams that I had to share, because I used to go to these conferences and actually sit there and listen to these speakers, which I was inspired about. So in order to be up there now, I've done something right in order to get up there and do that. Wow, sounds uh, like an I amazing opportunity. Massive, massive. And I love it and I'm humbled and hopefully I don't stuff it up. Wow. I'm, I'm sure you won't. I'm oh, sure I'm you hoping. won't. <laughs> Good luck with it. Thank, Thank you. you for uh, speaking to us and Thank all you. the best for whatever's next. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you.